Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Tuesday morning. And whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're choosing to listen via the live stream, which you can find on ESPNTucson.com, we do appreciate you tuning in here to Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. We know that you have a choice of where to get your sports information, news, slash entertainment. And we do appreciate you choosing the Jeff Dean Show here every morning from 7 to 9 on ESPN Tucson. Also, the podcast available for download, and you can listen at your leisure. You can find it on anywhere you download your podcasts, Amazon, Audible, Apple, Stitcher, iTunes, all the places, uh, 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 TuneIn, uh, all the places you get your uh, your podcasts, you can download us there and listen at your leisure. A lot of people shook up about my uh, my top five head coaching jobs in there in college football. Settle down. My goodness. <laughs> Just my opinion. I, I want you to share your opinions with me. But, uh, you know. Saying you're an idiot for not putting uh, Alabama in your top five isn't exactly spreading the love. So Jed Fish talked to the uh, media yesterday. Had, had about a 15-minute segment with the media. Uh, it, it was as expected. We talked about it on the show yesterday that I expected a change of quarterback to happen, and that was the first question. I think it was Michael Lev that asked the question, uh, what are they going to do at quarterback? And Jed announced at his press conference that Will Plummer will be Saturday night's starting quarterback versus NAU. Also said that Jordan McLeod is going to start getting some reps in practice as well, meaning he is not happy with the product that he saw basically over the first two games out of Gunnar Cruz. And, and look, there was, there, was some, there was some production, of course, in the BYU game, but when you listen to Jed's press conference after the BYU game, he said we left 150 yards in the passing game on the field. Like basically saying we could have thrown for 500 yards in that game, but we missed some yardage, and most importantly, we missed a wide-open tight end in the end zone. Bryce Woman was wide open uh, for a 19-yard touchdown play and never got the ball. So you can tell that, that Jed has been a little bit iffy on Gunnar Cruz's decision-making. And I don't believe that this is a, a panic move or a knee-jerk reaction to a blowout loss. This was a situation that's been brewing, as I mentioned. Gunnar Cruz, whether by his decision-making or lack thereof sometimes, or by his recent drop in accuracy, he simply left too many plays incomplete on the field. And, you know, Jed had, you know, Jed essentially, he talked about that in the in the press conference. He, he was talking about Gunnar, and he was talking about, a, a, you know, different things that he saw in the film. He said, quote, could he have gotten the ball off on time and therefore not gotten hit? Could he have? Could we have run a better route? Talking about the receivers, could we have run a better route, which therefore would have allowed him to get out before he got hit? Unfortunately, early in the game, we had opportunities that we missed, and therefore resulted in hits. Therefore resulted in scrambles. Therefore resulted in negative plays. Throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Some things that we just never should have done. There were numerous occasions, according to Jed Fish, where uh, where Gunnar Cruz made the wrong decision. And you just cannot continue to have that. You can't 
you can't continue to have your quarterback making the wrong decisions or making no decision at all, which is sometimes worse than than the wrong decision. Indecision sometimes worse than wrong decision, right? Um, so he's going to make the change to to Will Plummer. Now, what does Will Plummer bring to the offense? If you if you haven't watched or uh, you know maybe you're just not quite sure, you just you know you're a casual fan, and that's totally fine. I, I you know I'm here for you. I was a casual fan at once myself and just turned into an absolute junkie. Um, Will Plummer is going to play at a faster pace than Gunnar Cruz. He's going to go, 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 go. Um, I think that it's, it's a, he's a less deliberate player than Gunnar Cruz is, which in some situations is good, some situations is not so good. Um, he has struggled with his accuracy in the passing game during his brief career at Arizona, so that's something to look forward to as well. They may give him some easier throws to make, and sometimes his decision-making can be a little bit um, Wild West gunslinger-esque, if you will, based on some of the throws that we've seen him launch up into the air. But he's a gamer. I've always liked Will Plummer. I've liked his grit ever since we saw him take over for uh, Grant Gannell in the UCLA game last year. Remember, Grant Gannell uh, hurt his fingernail on the first play of the game against UCLA and then didn't come back in. And Will Plummer took over that game and, and played with a lot of grit and a lot of uh, you know, he he was he was beat up, and I remember seeing him after that game uh, on the field and stuff. He was just he he was he was beat up real good. You know, he, his jersey was completely tattered. There was blood on it, dirty. I mean, he he took a beating in that game, but he kept coming back, kept coming back for more. And I appreciate that because, like like when you're talking about you know how do you what do you look for in a quarterback? What's the, how do you construct the perfect quarterback? You want some guy with a big arm. You want some guy that's smart and intelligent, able to, to assess the defense pre-snap. Uh, you want a great leader. One of the most common, you know, when you talk to coaches, GMs, players, just across the board. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and we, talk, we have this conversation. I've you know, met a lot of people that I've had this conversation with, professionals in the NFL, um, and also you know, guys that are at the collegiate level as well. Talk about, you know, what's your favorite trait in the quarterback. And I'll tell you what, I mean, there's a lot of different, there's probably about eight different traits that come out of people's mouths. I think the most common one that you hear is toughness. That's just, that's one of the most common, one of the most common traits amongst people, professionals, coaches, uh, players, everybody, you know, from top to bottom, what they like in a quarterback. They like toughness. And I think Will Plummer's a tough guy. He's got grit. And that's what Arizona needs right now. Arizona needs to increase their presence in the running game. Obviously, it's been very, very bad in the first two games of this season. They need to increase their presence there, and they just need a guy who's going to get the ball out of his hands. The ball needs to leave the backfield, period. There have been too many plays left in the backfield, too many sacks, been eight sacks in the first two games. I think there's been 17 tackles for loss. Or no, I'm sorry, 14. 14 tackles for loss. There's been six total, six TFLs outside of the eight sacks. So, uh, you, you got to get the ball out of the backfield. You cannot need to go backwards. Uh, Jed Fish talked about it in his in his press conference yesterday. He said, you know, going back, we're, you know, we're looking at our at our schedule as far as you know, first, second, third down. We had third and twelve, third and thirteen, third and fourteen, third and seventeen. You can't have those. <laughs> those are those are like, wh- why? What are we doing out here? Why are we even trying to convert on third down? We should just punt on third down <laughs> because. All you can do is, I mean, the quarterback's going to hold on to the ball a little bit longer, waiting for that play to develop. The defense has got you in a stranglehold. You're playing right into their hands when you're playing behind the sticks like that. That's just not, that's not how you want to try to convert third down. No, no team 
and I mean not a single team in the history of football has ever been or will ever be successful continually trying to convert third and longs. If you're third and eight or more, you are going to lose a lot of football games. Arizona was not so much there in game one against BYU and were consistently third and seven, third and eight or more against San Diego State. Couldn't move the ball on first and second downs and therefore resulted in bad third down uh, situations for the Wildcats, which is why they couldn't convert third down. What, one of 13 in that game, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, you can't, you can't convert those. So Jetfish talked about that, and that's why he's going to make the change at, at quarterback. Do I think it's a, it's a move in the right direction? I think it is for right now. Do I think Will Plummer is the better quarterback? I think right now, for the way this team is, is constructed, for the, for the way that they're playing offense, the, the way they're doing business essentially on offense, I think currently he is the better quarterback, the better choice. Now, I don't know at the end of the season if that's going to be the case, if the wide receivers can, you know, can learn a little bit more this season, if they're able to uh, get off the ball a little bit better, if they're able to get more separation, if the offensive line is able to come to some chemical cohesion, if they're able to work together as a unit, and as long as, you know, if the offense can get some more, some more confidence, then maybe Gunnar Cruz is your go-to guy at the end of the season or at the start of next season. I don't know. But right now, and that's all I care about, and that's all the coaches care about, how do you win your first game? How do you get off this 14-game losing streak? How do you go from 0-2 to 1-2? And and Will Plummer is the answer. And I agree. I, I, I talked about it yesterday. I think, I think you need to see a change of quarterback, and Jed Fish also agreed with that, thankfully. Not that he was listening to me. Not that he cares. Uh, but, you know, Will Plummer is going to be the, the, uh, the, the quarterback for the Wildcats on Saturday night when they take on NAU. And he said that he's going to get Jordan McLeod some more reps. I think right now Jed is um, he's frustrated with his quarterback room. You know, this is a guy who's coached NFL quarterbacks at the NFL level and coached some really, really good quarterbacks at the college level as well, both at Michigan or UCLA. I mean, he's, he's been around some pretty darn good quarterbacks in his time. And uh, these, these three guys have him really frustrated, I think. I talked about it before the season when Jed made it known that there was not going to be a one quarterback starting, you know, for the, you know, for the well, one quarterback starting. But in the BYU game, they were going to, you know, they were going to go back and forth. They're going to have a two-quarterback system. And I said, you know, during that show when we talked about his reaction and just the way he looked like reading his body language and hearing the inflection in his voice, it sounded like he was more like, I guess we'll just do this. Because he couldn't make a decision. Based on what we've seen so far in the first two games, that's what he's been seeing in practice this entire time. Uh, you know, he's like, I, I, whatever. I, we're we're going to go out there and do the best we can. We're going we're to try to call good plays. We're going to try to, to block them up and see what we can do. But right now the offense is in dire straits. They are, they are lack, lacking in confidence. The offensive line is lacking in confidence right now, I believe. They need to get that confidence back. And the way they can do that is by having a big game uh, against NAU on Saturday night. And they can do that by forcing their will on NAU, lining up, playing some smash-mouth football, and just moving forward. Go with two tights. Go with, you know, get your, you know, get your 12 personnel out there, your one back, two tights, Okay. You know, and that's that's one of the things that's frustrated me. And I was I was talking with a friend yesterday about this. I'm like, 
you know, you, you, you come in, you say we're going to bring the tight end back to Arizona. You've got capable tight ends on this team with Bryce Wolma, Stacey Marshall, Alex Lyons, very capable both pass catching and blocking tight ends. You bring in a fullback who players raved about in practice saying just how tough he was and what a hard-nosed football player he was, smart, uh, and, and, you know, really gets his nose dirty and loves to, to, to mix it up with people and Clay Markoff. And these guys aren't seeing the field. They're not seeing the ball. They're not seeing the field. Like, it's frustrating, right? We know that the, the, the Wildcats are talented at wide receiver. It's probably why they want to continue to throw the ball to wide receivers because we got a lot of good ones. We really do. But when you, when you watch San Diego State and you watch the game, um, and I, I do need to go back and watch film now because there are some things that I, that I think I missed that I do need to go back and watch. So I'm going to go back and watch the game tonight. But you, you, you watching, just going off of memory, I can see stuff playing out of my mind, and I'm looking at the secondary. And I, I remember saying yesterday, I felt like there was 12 players on defense because like, I was counting guys all the time on San Diego State. I'm like, is there 12 out there? How can they have such great pressure in the backfield with, you know, and, they're, and they're rushing five or six and have every zone, every spot, every man covered and with a high safety? Like, how are they doing this? They just did a fantastic job of scheming it up on defense. Their players played hard, and they were the better team on Saturday night. You know, Jed Fish also addressed the, the, the tackling um, against San Diego State. He said the tackling was terrible, stating that the defense missed 16 tackles in that game, which is something I need to go back and look at, too. I know we missed a bunch because I talked about it yesterday. I was like, tackling wasn't good. I felt, and I still feel, without watching the, the film again, this is based on just my perception. And, look, it's difficult for me to get a real good gauge on stuff because I'm up there in the PA deck, and I'm doing math, and I'm trying to get names and numbers and I'm trying to assess all the information that's coming at me, and I have to do it within about eight seconds of time. Like it's, you know, I've got a lot going on as opposed to just watching the game and scheming, you know, figuring out what, you know, what kind of schemes are being used there. Uh, it's difficult, but, I, you know, try my best. <laughs> uh, but watching the, watching the tackling, I still feel that Arizona was lacking in their pursuit of the ball carrier. That It wasn't exactly bad tackling technique. I thought the techniques seemed solid. You know, guys had their head around the front of the ball carrier. They were wrapping up. They were going at the hips, okay? All the things, all the, you know, the technical things, the fundamental things of tackling that you're supposed to do. I don't think, I, don't, I felt like they didn't keep their feet underneath them as best as, as well as they could. They were kind of lunging uh, for tackles instead of driving and getting underneath and using leverage to tackle. Um, but I, overall, I thought the technique wasn't terrible. The one thing that, you know, that I was – remarked about when when I talked to two people. I talked to one person in the football program uh, for the school up north and another person of a football program in the Pac-12 North who both watched Arizona versus BYU. Both of them remarked the same thing. Without talking to one another, they said the exact same thing to me, is that Arizona played fast. Like, they, they on the field, they didn't, it wasn't like they were fast guys running around, but they played fast. Like, they were guys running to the ball on defense. And when you watch the BYU game, there were four or five tacklers at the ball uh, every time BYU got out into space. San Diego State was not that case. Like, San Diego State, there were guys out on an island just trying to tackle somebody, and it didn't go, out, didn't go very well for Arizona. Obviously, we saw that happen several times. So I'm going to go back and look at the tackling technique. Again, I thought it was pretty solid. I didn't – because normally I can pick up on that stuff. I'll throw a pen while I'm up there, and I'll be like, that's a terrible tackling technique. I say, you know, the people that work with me, I feel so bad for them. They're just like, God, this guy's a ticking time bomb. So if you're listening, I apologize, guys. I get a little, 
I get a little riled up up there. <laughs> I just like to watch good football. And Saturday night was not good football. Well, it wasn't good football from Arizona. It was from San Diego State. So props to them on that. But, look, we're, we're, we're hoping to bounce back and get, uh, get a big dub on Saturday night. And, again, you'll have your chance to win my tickets to the game coming up later this hour. Sometime in the next 40 minutes, um, you'll have your chance to win those, uh, those tickets, my season tickets, to the game this Saturday night. All right, fans, FanDuel Sportsbook is now live, of course. We're celebrating in a big way. Now, the NFL game, the big game this Sunday is Chiefs and Ravens. We saw the Ravens last night. I said I wanted to wait until I saw what I saw against the Raiders before I gave what my choice is in this particular game. But I'm going to leave it up to you to make up your own minds because obviously my betting mind is not as great as uh, many of yours, of course, I'm sure. FanDuel is going to give new customers 30-1 to odds on that game. Either team to win, 30-1. to So you can end your weekend with a $150 win on a $5 bet. Now, I'll give you my choice later on in the week of who I'm going to take in the Chiefs-Ravens game. I don't know where I'm leaning, but I need to look at the lines and everything like that that are going to be coming out uh, later today. FanDuel is sports betting made simple, and they're going to be hooking you up with some special offers, amazing offers all week long. I was getting tons of stuff over the weekend. I was like, man, I need to get in on this. I want to get on this. And I had a lot of fun uh, uh, putting some shekels down in some NFL games. Won a couple as well, and yes, I did get paid within 24 hours, which is awesome. They were true to their word. You get paid in as little as 24 hours, and that's just one of the many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. Now, to get your promo for this Chiefs-Ravens game, you'll need to sign up with promo code DEAN. That's D-E-A-N, my last name, for this Sunday's Chiefs-Ravens game. You can get that $150 win on just a $5 bet. But remember to use the promo code DEAN so that they know that I sent you they can get you the right promo code. And it's exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 and over and present in Arizona, New Year's is only. $10 first deposit is required. Must wager in designated offer market. The max bonus is $150. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342. Speaking of next, NFL news and notes and what we saw from the Monday night wild shootout that happened last night in Las Vegas. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, it was a fun night in Las Vegas last night, wasn't it? There was a little bit of everything. There was a lot of chaos, which we love, and which we kind of come to expect from Raider brand of football. As uh, last night, the Raiders outlast the Ravens in a wild one, 33-27. Game went into overtime. It started slow. Well, it started slow for the Raiders. <laughs> the Raiders were uh, – the offense was um, a little sluggish coming out, of the, uh, coming out of the locker room maybe. And uh, they were down 14 nothing early. Now, I, I don't remember the number. I think he's. I think it was 81. I, this is a remarkable number. This just tells you how good of a head coach John Harbaugh is. John Harbaugh, in his coaching career, before going into last night's game, was 81-0 and 0 in his coaching career when his team had a 14 or more point lead in the game. 81-0. and 0. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Think about it. How many times do teams come back and win? It's, it's like, oh, it's just two touchdowns. No big deal, especially the way that football's played today with all the 
passing and how good the quarterbacks have become and receivers are bigger and stronger and faster. and A lot of points scored in games. It's, it's easy to go down and score in a minute, right? 81-0. Well, he's 81-1 now because Chucky and the Raiders took care of business last night in what was an absolute wild debut in Las Vegas in front of the fans, right? Um, I'll get to that in a minute because the fans, fans in quotation marks, air quotes, uh, 62,000 of them filling the uh, the stadium there, uh, lacking a little bit of traditional fan etiquette, if you will. We'll get into that in a minute. So the the overtime period, now the, the end of the game was, was crazy. Like, I, it was 21-21, I look up, it's 24-21, then I look up, it's 24-24, then I looked up, it was 27-24, then I look up, it's 20 I'm like, what is happening? Like, how did all this happen in three and a half minutes? <laughs> well, when you have those offenses and those dynamic players like you do in the NFL, that's the kind of stuff that you see. And they were kicking field goals at the end of the game, trying to just make the game last a little bit longer, trying to get a win. And then in the overtime, you get – the touchdown pass from the Raiders, it gets overturned, right? He, uh, the, the, the Derek Carr throws the pass, goes into the end zone, and and he's, he's ruled down at the one-yard line, okay? Then the Raiders get a false start, moving them back. So it's now third and goal, right? On the third down play, Derek Carr throws a just a laser beam into the end zone that goes off the receiver's face mask, bounces into the air, it is intercepted by the Ravens in the end zone. They down it. They get the touchback. Ravens get the ball back. They're going to start driving. Then Carl Nassib comes in, sacks Lamar Jackson, strips the ball. Raiders fall on it. Okay. Now at this point, you're thinking all they have to do is kick a field goal to win the game. So they line up to kick a field goal, get a delay of game on a second down. Delay of game on a 43-yard field goal attempt. Moves them back five yards. They're like, nope. Can't do it. New line of scrimmage is the 31-yard line. We're going to have to get some more yardage here. It's second and, you know, eight or whatever it was at that point. Um, but a, a delay of game? Like, it was just like, what is happening? Do either of these teams want to win this football game? And then all of a sudden, Derek Carr goes off his back foot, just launches the ball into the air. You're like, there's got to be someone open down there. And then pff, there it was. Wide open. The Ravens' DB doesn't even bother to make chase. He's just like, I, the, I got beat. Is burnt toast, and the game was over, and the Raiders win. And uh, after the game, John Gruden said he felt like a cat with his nine lives. He was dead and alive and dead and alive, <laughs> like the cat dangling from the rafters at the Miami game. <laughs> what what a contest it was last night. That was a fun way to end week one. It was a it was a, a, a really fun and eventful week one. I think we learned a lot about some of the teams, and then there's other teams where we're still like, I, like the Packers. Like, I don't know what the Packers are going to be like uh, this season. I don't think they're going to be that well. I know they're not going to be as bad as they were on, on Sunday, but I'm not sure if they are uh, if they are championship level right now based on uh, where they're at in their heads. So it was a fun finish to the game, and it was it, it was just interesting all the way around. First of all, look. Raiders fans, Raiders fans going to Raider. That's just what they do. But then you move them to Las Vegas where it becomes more of like, it's more of like a scene to be seen, essentially. You you go to the game because it's like the cool thing to do. And the, the casinos, of course, are giving their high rollers, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, ducats and things like that to go to the game. And 
at one point, you, you know, the, 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 the Raiders, obviously, the, you know, they had, a, they had a big injury in the game, and the players being carted off the field, and the fans are doing the wave during while this player is being carted off the field, okay? Folks, I, I can't tell you this. I can't express this enough. First of all, that is completely disrespectful and absolutely ridiculous of those quote-unquote fans that were in attendance. And I, don't, I, I don't believe that they were actual fans. Um, I believe that they were, you know, just people that were just being there to be at the game. Um, but, look, you don't, don't do the wave during the game, folks. Okay? Don't do the game. You know, Gerald McCoy being hauled off the, 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 on, the, on the cart, and they're doing a wave in the middle of the game. You do the wave between quarters or at halftime. Okay? Not, when most people are off getting beers and stuff at halftime. You do the wave when there's not a game being played. But, listen, fans these days, they're just like, oh, you know, they just go to the game, these tickets, they don't care about the game, especially last night because it was completely disrespectful for uh, for them to be doing the wave while Gerald McCoy was obviously injured and being carted off the field. And uh, we'll find out more about his injury probably later today. But uh, it was an interesting scene. Now, I also want to address the the Manning telecast. Okay, Now, there was that, obviously, Peyton and, and Eli, they did their thing on ESPN2 last night. And I talked about it when it was announced that this was going to be happening. I'm like, well, I, I guess I don't understand the allure of why you would want to watch two guys in their living room talking about the game, which is what you should be doing if you're watching the game. You're sitting in your living room watching and, and discussing the game. Now, granted, the discussions that the Mannings have are going to be very different from the discussions that you and I are having if we're sitting there watching the game. There's a lot of different insight, plus they're being paid to be there and entertain and all this other stuff. Then they started bringing on guests, Charles Barkley, Ray Lewis, uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, it was a show. I thought it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, I didn't, I didn't care for the 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 I guess the idea, if you will, but I thought that that, that they pulled it off quite well, and was really enjoyable. Um, I thought they did a they did a nice job, just kind of keeping people entertained. There was a lot of insight, of course. Ray Lewis talking about what defenses are looking at and stuff, and you got Peyton Manning trying to put on that Ravens helmet because his head's too big, and then Eli making fun of him. He's like, imagine that. Your, your helmet didn't fit you. They didn't have a double extra large. I mean, funny stuff, right? Peyton, like, Peyton is really funny. Eli I was a little worried about because he's a mouth breather, and I think we kind of <laughs> a little worried about things that maybe he's not as exciting or whatever. He was fun, uh, but Peyton was great as always. And then, you know, Russell Wilson comes on to the, the broadcast in the fourth quarter, was able to stick around in overtime, and, there's that funny, you know, the funny picture of all of them with their hands raised when the Raiders scored, and then they didn't score, and then they throw the interception. <laughs> it was a it was a roller coaster of emotions, but um, it was fun. There's going to be ten more telecasts like that uh, throughout the season on Monday Night Football, including this upcoming Monday night, and uh, I think week two and week three are scheduled for the uh, the Manning telecast on ESPN two. So if you didn't get a chance to see it last night, if you're interested in just like a different a different take on watching a football game, check it out. Like, the first quarter wasn't very good. You couldn't watch the game because they, the, the director that they had in the truck just wasn't getting the right frame on the actual gameplay itself, was focusing more on the, uh, on the Mannings. But after, the, uh, after the, the first quarter, they got a little bit better. They, 
went to like a three-quarter game screen with like just side kind of pictures of the, of the guys. It was much better at that point. And then, of course, they would break to, to Peyton in the living room or the basement or whatever, and he's, you know, calling his checks, and he's, can, 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 and they're like, what's can? And it was really good, really good stuff. It was entertaining. It was fun. And um, if you're, if you, like I said, if you're looking for some kind of an alternate type of way to watch a game, I think it's a good way to do it. So check it out uh, this upcoming Monday. Uh, I haven't even looked at what the Monday night game is, but it should be, uh, should be fun with the Manning brothers. All right, this is your chance to win my tickets once again in the 8 o'clock hour, my tickets to this Saturday's game against NAU, your chance to text to win my tickets. Go ahead and do it now. You're going to be texting the keyword Jeff. That's just my first name, J-E-F-F, boring as hell. Uh, text it to 68683. The number is 68683. Text my name, Jeff. The keyword is Jeff. For your chance to win a pair of my tickets to this Saturday night's U of A football game taken on NAU game is at 7 o'clock, and uh, message and data rates may apply for this particular text, depending on what your uh, service is. But do it now. Your window is small and narrow to get in on this particular uh, section of the uh, of the text to win contest, and we'll do it again Wednesday and Thursday, and then we'll announce our winners Friday morning. But text Jeff right now to 68683 to enter for your chance to win a pair of my tickets to this Saturday's game. You're listening to The Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Some other takeaways. I'd forgotten about some of these from last night's telecast, the mega cast, if you will, the Manning cast, whatever they're calling it, on ESPN2. It started off right away. Peyton says, he goes, okay, here we go. This is going to tell me everything I need to know. Talking about the first play of the of the season for the Raiders, Derek Carr threw a pass to Darren Feller, uh, Darren Waller, uh, that uh, that went incomplete. Eli says, "What does that tell you?" Peyton said, six and eleven, six and eleven. <laughs> they win the game, and they were talking about like, essentially, they were they were pretending to be Gruden. Okay, uh, Peyton's pretending to be Gruden. Eli's pretending to be the quarterback. Pretending to be Derek Carr. Peyton says, okay, Bronco right, tight, shorty, flash. And Eli is now pretending to be in the huddle calling the play, and then Peyton just starts yelling, it's cover two, it's cover two. Run 58 freedom, 58 freedom. It was, like, it was funny stuff. Like, I, 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 I just absolutely love that kind of stuff. I get, I get all geeked up on those kinds of things. So um, I really enjoyed it. And, look, let's be honest. The Monday Night Football telecast has been really poor for a long time. I mean, a long time. Like, they've had a really hard time finding people that engage the uh, the fan bases, you know, the the, the watchers and, and things like that, the, 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 you know, the people who are tuning in. It's been difficult to, to keep people's interest. Trust me, I know, because I run a business that is in bars every night of the week, and we always run into problems in, in during football season. Okay, we are, you know, our Thursday night venues have some issues. You know, when there's a big Thursday night game, even though the Thursday night games are usually kind of dog. I mean, they're just players hate playing on Thursdays. They they absolutely hate playing on Thursdays. Every single one of them hates playing on Thursdays. Um, and the games usually fail because of that. They, they're just not they're not well played games. Um, but I, you know, we we have we have several you know several bars, several sports bars that have us in on Monday nights and have have been increasing their Monday night um, their Monday night uh, as far as promotion load because Monday night football is just not bringing in the in the crowds it hasn't brought in crowds for years six seven eight years 
it's been you know kind of dead on Monday night football. I don't know if people are kind of footballed out after Thursday and then Saturdays for college football, morning, afternoon, and night Sunday games. And then you get to Monday, you're like, ah, I'm just tired. I'm done with football. What was the score of the Monday night game last night? You know, a lot of people just don't even watch. Um, I thought this was important for uh, for Monday night football to kind of get back to that entertainment level. I mean, look, if it's completely, if it's just complete chaos and completely off the rails, I'm here for it. Like, I'm I'm down for that. Let's let's have more fun. Let's have more chaos, more off the rails action that you know is you know uh, able to distract people from what what's happening in their lives or whatever. I, I think it was good. So, um, hopefully that continues to uh, to be an improving product for them, and uh, we'll be watching next week for uh, for the the Manning telecast. Some more NFL news. Obviously, there were a lot of of injuries. I don't want to get into too many of them. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of teams are looking for players today to fill gaps. I know the 49ers lost their starting corner, Jason Verrett, to a season-ending ACL. They brought in Drake Kirkpatrick to come and fill that spot. A lot of a lot of defensive backs have gone down in the first couple of weeks, both in the you know the preseason and of the week one of the NFL season. Uh, defensive backs are kind of eesh. it's it's getting thin out there, which is bad news for defenses because offenses are loaded with talent at quarterback and wide receiver right now, and uh, scores you may see scores go up exponentially this season. I want to talk about one player that, and specifically a team, a coach, a team, a player that showed up on on Sunday that I was completely unexpecting. And I want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles for a minute. I have made my comments about Nick Sirianni and how I just think that in his press conferences he comes off as a moron. I mean, he really does. He can't speak. He says dumb things in his press conferences. And, I mean, when I say dumb, I don't mean, like, misguided things. He just says dumb things. Like, I was like, this guy's a head coach of a football team? You're kidding me. And then they go out, and they absolutely lay the wood to the Falcons. And the Falcons, Arthur Smith, of course, extremely successful offensive coordinator at Tennessee, scored a ton of points, played in big games, goes to Atlanta. They can't move the football. All of a sudden, they just, that, that talented offense and Matt Ryan laying on his face uh, on the turf, I, it just couldn't move the ball. Scored six points in the game. Philadelphia's got a good defense. I don't know if it was that good. But, man, they put together one hell of a game plan. They lit up that scoreboard, and I was really impressed with Jalen Hurts. And I talked I talked some smack about him this offseason and in the preseason. Like, I just didn't think that he was a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. Again, this may be an overreaction to week number one, you know, an, an early season overreaction in, in that sense. Um, and I may continue – I mean, I'm not going to jump off of my, my statement real quick, but he played extremely well. Uh, he was 27 for 35. He was efficient, 264 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran for 62 yards, was sacked only once by the Falcons in that game. And I thought, and I don't remember which player it was. It was an offensive lineman that they talked to from the uh, from the Eagles. And their, off, look, their offensive line was really, really good in that game against the Falcons. And I'm not surprised. Falcons' defense is going to struggle a little bit this year. I can't remember which offensive lineman it was. But he basically, they, they asked him about something that, you know, that the coach did or something to to encourage them in this game. And he said something to the effect that, that like, Nick Sirianni, the head coach, showed them a – it was like a video um, of, like, trials and tribulations that he's gone through and that people that he knows have gone through and, like, overcoming adversity and certain things like that. 
and I can't remember exactly what it was. He said it had a really poignant message to it, and he said, and this was a, 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 a seasoned veteran of the NFL that was talking about this, and he basically said, like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Like, it was really inspiring. And I think a lot of guys were able to take away a lot of positives from that message from Nick Sirianni, and then they went out and played the way they did. I just, I mean, just brought the woodshed out to, uh, to you know, took the Falcons out to the woodshed. And uh, so, look, a good first week for a team that I thought was going to be absolutely terrible, and I've been saying it all, all offseason, I thought the Eagles were going to be the worst team in the NFC and one of the worst teams in football. But they proved they're 1-0 in a blowout victory on the road against a team that I thought was going to be pretty good. And I, I should say pretty good. A team that's going to win six or seven games this year, good. Certainly better than I thought the Eagles would be. So props to Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. I was totally wrong on uh, on my assessment there. At least after week one, it was um, it was a unique experience. I just uh, I didn't uh, I didn't expect to see that out of them. Now they play the 49ers this week, and the 49ers may go into Philadelphia and lay the smackdown on them and beat them, you know, forty-five to ten or something like that, because the 49ers offense is really clicking right now. Uh, and even even based on what I saw against Detroit on uh, on Sunday. 49ers left a lot of plays on the field. They dropped balls. Um, there were missed assignments in the in the blocking game uh, from the offensive line that you don't see a whole lot of. They they'll, they'll get things worked out. Kyle Shanahan will have them clicking again, and uh, and they will remember the 16 points that they gave up in the final minute and a half of that game to the Detroit Lions. They'll remember that for a while because they that was a pucker factor 11 for those 49ers there for for a minute. Debo Samuel fumbles that ball. In, uh, in Lions territory, Lions get the ball back, hand the ball back to Jared Goff, who's absolutely on fire at that point. Eh, things were getting a little dicey, but uh, the Niners were able to prevail. So Niners are going to be taking on the Eagles. Should be an interesting matchup. I think two 1-0 teams um, that, that could be, you know, I think, a, a pretty good game. Although I still believe the Eagles aren't very good. Their defense is good, but I don't think the offense is very good. We'll see. 49ers have struggled against uh, mobile quarterbacks over the last couple of years. See if they've fixed that little problem. Um, with this iteration of this year's defense. Talked with some people about the Packers yesterday. There was a lot of mixed reactions to what they saw. The overwhelming reaction was this, though, that this was a team who was full of themselves, specifically a couple of the players, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, completely full of themselves, and that Aaron Rodgers was doing things that they hadn't seen him do in his entire career, like making just like mental mistakes that you didn't see out of Aaron Rodgers in the past. Like that little jump pass that went for the, the, the interception, first of all, I thought that dude was gone. Like I was like, that's got pick six written all over it. Thankfully, there was an offensive lineman uh, for the Packers that still had some pride down 38-3 to and decided to chase that dude down and make a nice tackle. Otherwise, that game is even worse than what it looks like right now. Because the rest of the offense couldn't give a rip about the guy. He didn't run down the sideline. Nobody was even chasing him. So his offensive line kind of came out of nowhere, grabbed him and wrestled him to the ground, kept him from scoring. The Just the overall mood and um, mental, I guess, state of the, of the Green Bay Packers was a really bad look for that team on Sunday. They got to bounce back. You know, they, the defense we knew was going to struggle. They weren't able to generate any kind of a pass rush. Um, you know, Zadarius, uh, Zadarius Smith wasn't even on the field for a whole lot. He was in for 
a lot of like situational pass pass rushes and stuff like that, but defense wasn't very good. And uh, I don't think it's going to be very good all season long. We could end up looking at the end of the season. We could end up looking at the NFC North and going, God, none of those teams are any good. I don't think look. I don't think Mike Zimmer is going to be long for the uh, for the sidelines in Minnesota. I've never understood the love with Mike Zimmer. He's an average coach at best. The Detroit Lions are terrible. We know that. Although they do fight for Dan Campbell, it'll be interesting to see how long he can keep them uh, fighting. The Chicago Bears are really bad. I mean, really bad. You look at their schedule. I was going over their schedule last night. They may that team may win three may win three games this year, maybe. They got to figure out what they're going to do with Justin uh, Justin Fields, though, when they're going to start him because uh, the fans are already. <laughs> we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. Uh, Andy Dalton was not going to be in the favor of the fans, and Justin Fields is. My surprise of the weekend, though, was my team that I just I thought that this was the year that they were going to disappoint people, and lo and behold, they go into Buffalo. Josh Allen looked terrible. The Pittsburgh Steelers looked amazing. And if you put Mike Tomlin in that role of where people are doubting him and they're the underdog and all that other stuff, that guy's scary. Like that team played with reckless abandon. Like they took that they took that personally. That people were kind of picking against them and the Bills were gonna blow them out, all this other stuff. They took that bleep personally. And they they put one hell of an effort against the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen looked absolutely awful in that game. So MVP season may be done. You know, I mean, all that kind of stuff may have been blown up just in week one at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was that was my most surprising outcome, my, my, my most surprising game of the weekend. Um, and then some other teams looked pretty good, and some other teams looked really bad. Uh, the New York Giants are in trouble. New York Giants are in real trouble. That's That's not a very good football team. They can't protect Daniel Jones. And even when they do, he throws the ball or he gets the ball, fumbles, and it's just it's it's a bad situation there for Joe Judge and the uh, the New York Giants. We'll continue to watch them, and we'll continue to talk plenty of NFL here on the Jeff Dean Show every single day, as is my promise to you. All right, when we return, we're going to put a bright a big bright red shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on fourteen ninety AM, one hundred four point nine FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 1490 AM and 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson and Tucson Appliance are looking for the next big radio star. Folks, we need your help picking the winner. Go to ESPNTucson.com and vote for the person that you believe would be the best addition to the Spears and Ali show as a weekly guest host. I mean, let's be honest here. Any addition to their show is going to be a great addition to their show. I just like to push buttons. If you're a contestant, tell your friends to go to ESPNTucson.com and vote daily. The grand prize winner will earn a weekly phone guest segment on the Spears and Ali show, which I'm sure you will talk circles around them. And the voting ends on Sunday night, September 19th. We'll announce the winner on Monday, September 20th. Vote now and vote daily at ESPNTucson.com. A star is born on ESPN Tucson. Brought to you by Tucson Appliance. Only at Tucson Appliance where our low prices are your priority. Uh, okay, so real quick before we get out of here, news out of Eugene because that uh, is a, a team that Arizona has coming up in two weeks. They're going to play the Ducks up in Eugene in two weeks. Justin Flo, their standout uh, freshman linebacker, second-year freshman linebacker at Oregon, is going to miss the remainder of the season, uh, and that's a huge blow for uh, for Oregon. Flo is a tremendous football player. He had like 15 tackles and a, and a, a fumble 
uh, fumble caused in the uh, in the opener against Fresno State. Didn't play against Ohio State. Was kind of like, well, where, where's Justin Flo at? I mean, the five-star recruit, going to be a uh, first-round draft pick. And they're like, oh, uh, well, he injured himself. We didn't know about it. <laughs> oh, okay. They're also going to be without Kayvon Thibodeau, who did not play against Ohio State as well. Neither uh, Drew Mathis didn't play. Their other linebacker, other starting linebacker at, at, at Oregon, didn't play against Ohio State as, as well. They went into Ohio State, won that game without three of their best players on defense, which is remarkable. Um, but Drew Mathis is going to be sidelined for a while. And Jackson LaDuke, it was just announced uh, either last night or early this morning, that he is going to be out for an extended period of time, another linebacker. So in two weeks, when Arizona goes up to play Eugene, or uh, play Oregon in Eugene, they're going to be without Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo, Drew Mathis, and Jackson LaDuke all on defense. Now, this is Oregon we're talking about and not, you know, this, you know, it's not TCU or something like that. Well, not, I didn't say TCU. It's, uh, you know, this isn't you know New Mexico State where it's like, oh, they're going to put our kicker in to play linebacker for us. This is Oregon. They'll reload and they'll be fine. But those are four top-notch players and starters for uh, for Mario Cristobal's defense. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on as uh, they get ready to play. Uh, we get ready to play them in a couple weeks heading up there to Eugene for our first Pac-12 road game, first Pac-12 game of the Dead Fish era. Good luck. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mary back in studio for uh, taking care of all the uh, button pushing and keeping us on the air and doing all the right things and trying to keep me on task as best as she can. I feel sorry for her. Stick around 3 to 6 with Spears and Ali, and I'll see you guys again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. for the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.